This is the Education Gadfly Show. Can't really, like, you know, down that tequila shot if I wanted one. Yeah. And that concludes Amber's Research Minute. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming our special guest for this week, Sekou Biddle, the Vice President of Advocacy at the United Negro College Fund. Sekou, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mike. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Also joining us, my co-host, David Griffith. Always a pleasure, Mike. All right. So we are excited to have you on to talk about a new survey that is out from UNCF about how African-American youth view education and related topics. Let's get into that in Ed Reform Update. All right, so tell us uh, tell us about this survey. What are you finding uh, when you ask young people about what's on their mind absolutely. when it comes to education? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, the, I think the the most striking finding is that overwhelmingly African American youth say that they aspire to pursue education beyond high school. Yeah, I think that's the thing that we took away from this is it's most important to know. Uh, it's important to know in part because it parallels a study we did in 2012 with African American parents, in which they said the same thing for their outcomes for their children. They were their aspiration. For for their children was for their children to go on to college and get a four-year degree. Yep. And we're finding now when we talk directly to students, they're saying they want to finish high school and they want to go on to college and they want to use that to launch themselves into their lives professionally and beyond. And remind us, how old are the kids when you're surveying them? Yeah, yeah. I think so. We're now, we worked on this on a survey with a group of students, um, I think 14 to 24-ish a couple mm-hmm. years ago. So a good span of students from several cities around the country as well. Okay, excellent. Uh, you get deeper into it in the survey in terms of what they view as as being valuable. Yep. You know, uh, for example, is it important to be smart or yep. is it important to be considered popular or tough sure. or uh, a trendsetter? Uh, I value that very much, yeah. the trendsetter part, I can as, see. as people know. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> uh, so what, what did they say? Yeah, well, you know, it's a lot of things they said. And I think for us, one of the really important things about doing this um, research was you know, there's a lot of talk in education about what children need and should get. Yeah. Um, we oftentimes ask everyone but the students themselves. Uh, and I think that, you know, as a parent, you know, I think oftentimes it can be really easy for us to have our own intellectual sense of what students need in mm-hmm. school and around. And it's easy for us to determine what that is without asking them. I think students have told us overwhelmingly, look, they value education. I, you know, not a day goes by where I hear where I don't hear somebody say that kids don't value education. Mm-hmm. They do value education. I think sometimes we misread the signs they give us in the way they behave around things. Mm -hmm. But that's in part a lot driven by the fact that as much as they value education, they're also in some way, shape, or form aware that we, the adults in their lives, aren't doing enough to get them the type of quality education they need to be successful Mm -hmm. in school today or in school beyond. Well, let's talk about that. So we've got parents and now kids saying overwhelmingly college is the goal, and yet... We look at the numbers. Uh, yep. It's pretty depressing, right? Uh, what are the latest numbers for four-year completion for African Americans? Ooh, that's a good question. Probably that's one I don't have on my head. Fifteen percent. Yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not as high as it needs to be. Yeah. Um, now there are a bunch of things that have a lot to do with that, and, and one of the issues is something else we work on at UNCF, which is that um, a couple of things that are important to note. So last year, based on SATs, um, based on ACT scores, rather. Mm-hmm. Um, 6% of African-American ACT takers were deemed to be college ready, which means they would could reasonably predict to go and get a B or C in college level course when they started. Yep. So that, that obviously tells us something about something that's not happening in the mm-hmm. preparation students are getting 
on their way to college. We also know that overwhelmingly 43% of African-American college students will take remedial coursework while they're in college. Right. Now, one of the challenges with remedial coursework is you're now getting essentially high school work, right? Right. But you're getting it at college prices. Right. Um, <laughs> and, you know, that's like, that's not a good deal. No. You know, especially but, because my kids go to public school where the price is right for yeah. what they're getting there, you yeah. know. And, and, and especially since so few kids are actually getting through it. Yeah. Especially on community college. Yeah. And, you know, and the challenge with that is, you know, when you're paying for your first year, second year in college for coursework for you to learn and master skills you should have learned in high school. You're A, but increasing the eventual cost of college, mm-hmm. and B, you're potentially increasing the time, the duration of time you'll spend in college. Mm-hmm. Both of those factors decrease your likelihood mm-hmm. that you'll graduate by increasing the cost and stressing out the amount of time, of course, you need to take. Right. And so what we know is there's a lot not happening in the K-12 through world yeah. that's underpreparing young people who... And I think that's, that's sort of why we're seeing this low rate of students finishing college because we know, like as in this survey and others say, they overwhelmingly want to go. Yeah. So there's a lot of students who want to go. There are a lot of people who are putting them on the path, directing them there. But there are also a lot of students who are getting there and they're not ready. And we've got to do much more to fix what's happening to improve readiness so they can be mm-hmm. successful when they get there. I'm just curious. Uh, are the kids, uh, you may or may not have asked about this, but are, are they surprised when they get there and this happens? I mean, what's their reaction? Yeah. I mean, so I think that's that's one of the challenging uh, things about this and what, sort of one of the tragedies of it is that I think overwhelmingly students are surprised. And you can sort of imagine why, like in a really simple way of looking at it, you know, your average student who's going off to college and arrives at college has been told in a number of ways mm-hmm. through a number of measures for, you know, 12 or more years that they're doing what they need to do. They're showing progress as an excess. They're seeing report card grades, like a lot of indicators to them that they are ready. They're doing what they're supposed to have done. And then they arrive on campus and they start going to classes and start finding themselves really challenged to do the work they need to be successful there. And there's just a huge gap. Like, you know, they're at a loss for what, what am I missing here? Because up until the point that I started this work, I was supposed to be ready. And I think, you know, the underlying issue here is that, you know, the subjectivity oftentimes of what kids are getting on report cards and otherwise really detracting away from objectively, are they really prepared yeah. to be successful? I mean, you nailed it right there. I mean, and, yep. and we've talked about this a lot on the show. We write about it a lot. I'm kind of obsessed with this <laughs> you know, because it's true. It's criminal. I mean, we yep. know at a very early age uh, if yeah. kids are on track or not. Uh, and as far as I can tell, nobody is willing to tell the kid or the parent, hey, uh, we have a problem here, you know, and uh, and it's it's not that we should be freaking out and that we should, I mean, but let's say you're in second or third or fourth grade and you are reading and doing math below grade level, you've got time, right. you've got time to fix that. Yes. But you need a sense of urgency. I mean, this I remember in the early days of KIPP, they would talk about uh, taking in kids who I think they used to start fourth grade Yep. Uh, with fourth graders and say, look, it is you are already down. It is the fourth quarter uh, and we've only got five minutes to go. And if we're going to get you to the point where you're able to compete with these more affluent kids in the suburbs, you know, we have got to put, you know, put it all out there. And there was a sense of urgency. And and I don't see it. And, yeah. and it's just a complete surprise. I mean, the fact that, of course, they think they're doing fine. They're, nobody, Everybody's getting A's and B's, right? If they don't do well in state tests, everybody says, oh, don't worry about the test. Those tests don't believe those tests. It's all just a test. And then what? guess what? They they can't do the college level work. Right. But you're raising two things, Mike, right? You're raising the urgency issue is real, right? Yeah. But the other one that's more uncomfortable for people to talk about that needs to be talked about more is the degree to which we're being honest with kids. Yeah. 
Right. And like, I think that's really to me gets to the heart of the matter because, you know, what we found is the students overwhelmingly say in their experience, there are people in their building, teachers, school counselors, and others who believe in them, who support them, who are there to help them succeed. Right. And so it's not as if you have students going through school who feel like there's nobody here for me. They believe that there are people there for them. Yeah. Now the challenge is to get the people who are there for the students, who the students believe are there to support them. Mm-hmm. To be honest with students in a way that sets them up for success. I mean, the goal here isn't to tear them down. It's to lift them up by being, you know, more frank and honest about where you really are today and how we're going to help you get to where you want to be and be clear about, you know, it's going to be challenging. But I don't know that we're hearing students say that they want someone to tell them it's going to be easy. No. Right? Right. They know where they want to go. They believe there are people there to help them. They think this is important. But I think what we have to sort of take from this is that we've got to really sort of turn up the pressure and help educators and other leaders, you know, up the degree to which we're being transparent and honest with students. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you brought up test scores. I mean, I think we have to really push back much more on, listen, like, I'm not here to tell people the test scores are the end all be all, Mm -hmm. but they do mean something. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Like there are, there are people saying to students and to others at times when test scores come back, don't pay attention to those. Mm -hmm. Like, like they don't matter. They do matter. Uh, You know, Look, test scores matter, report cards matter, all these things matter. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, one of the resources we've done for parents is to like help them think through what are the questions you should be asking? Because, you know, look, if your students' test scores say one thing and their grades mm-hmm. say something dramatically different, you know, those are data points you've got to use and reconcile them somehow. But you shouldn't just say out of hand, one of them matters, the other one just is wholly irrelevant. Right. So I'm curious just to know how far you're willing to go with this, right? I mean, is, is the solution... I, I, we can be honest with kids, right? But if yep. we don't back it up in the report card, right, yep. then then they're not really going to receive the message or they won't take it seriously. Are you saying we should be flunking kids or holding them back? Or what? what is it you're saying exactly when yeah, yeah, it yeah. doesn't go right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so I'm going to go back to something that Mike said earlier because I think this is an important mm-hmm. question, right? So I'm not saying that we should be flunking kids, right? Yeah. But I'm certain we should be honest with them. Now, I've I've worked in schools, you know, with predominantly low income students in communities where students, a lot of students come to school behind. They come to school behind for a lot of very obvious reasons, like lack of quality, you know, early education Mm -hmm. and care and all these things that we know would get them ready. That being the case, if we were honest with the children and with the families, and I've had conversations with like this with parents where you have to say to somebody, listen, here's how much progress your child has made. And on the things that they are prepared to do at a mastery level, they are performing at what you consider to be an A or a B. Mm -hmm. The challenge is that your child, and we have to say this to parents, we have to say this to students, is that your performance right now is not at grade level. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the hard thing that people have had a hard time reconciling is, are we prepared to, you know, communicate to children and to families, here's the grade level which you're performing at. Here's the level we need to get you to. But we do have to reward and recognize effort and energy, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and what are we going to do to help you get to that next level? Correct. Right? Yeah. I mean, that is the hard, I mean, are the schools prepared? Do they have strategies to say, okay, I've got a second grader uh, who is, you know, doing work at a kindergarten level. What am I going to do to get that second grader caught up as quickly as possible? Uh, and uh, instead, it feels like we just sort of avoid the conversation right. and, well, and yeah. tell them, oh, you're doing fine. And I think one thing we should do on that front is we should consider, because I think sometimes that happens because adults around children are setting extremely low expectations for the children, right? That they're, they're doing some version of looking at who the children are and where they're coming from, and they're making an assessment about yeah. these children and where they're going in life is X. Mm-hmm. So we need to, like, 
what we learn here is the children's ambitions for themselves are very high. Mm -hmm. So what people should do is take heart and say, listen, if this is what children and this is what low-income African-American parents want for their children, then that creates the space for the honest conversation that says, given that this is what your ambition for yourself and for your child are, Mm -hmm. and given where you are right now, like we can map the course. It's not going to be easy, but it's completely going to be worth it. And I think the reality around college degree attainment today is it's more important now than ever. And we're only going to help people by being honest about what it's going to take for them to get there. And, you know, it's get to college and be ready to be successful when they get there. I think that if we push on that and use their aspiration, like not our goals for them, mm-hmm. but what they're saying, because I mean, I'm, I'm of the belief, frankly, that if the parents are saying they want this for their children and the children are saying they want this for themselves, then the rest of us, like uh, it's only our, what should we be doing other than supporting what they want? If they tell us they want something different, yep. like we can have that conversation. But right now they're saying they want their children to be prepared to go off to college and be successful. That's what we should be supporting. All right. This is a great conversation. It will continue. And again, I, look, I think you nailed yep. it on the grades, on everything else. Uh, fixing it is uh, is another challenge that we got to figure out. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So thanks for coming Thank on. Seku Biddle, VP of Advocacy at UNCF. I hope you come back sometime soon. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Thanks. Now time for everyone's favorite, Amber's Research Minute. Amber, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. You know, Amber, I, I didn't tell you, but I, I snuck into your city uh, what? a, a little while ago. Me. Well, it was complicated. Come we were coming on. back from my parents in, in Hilton Head. Wow. And we we're going through Richmond. I had the, the kids. I had the puppy. All right. Okay. Where'd you, you know? go? Where'd you go? We went to this, oh gosh, what's it called? It was a Mexican restaurant uh, near uh, VCU. Harry Town? So near Okay. Harrytown? And it had this really nice patio because this is ah, the thing when you Havana? have- Havanas? Havanas? Uh, no. No, it no. wasn't fancy. No, okay, what's well, Havanas? And, uh, no, it was not Havanas. Something, okay. no. And, and uh, look, when you have a dog and you're trying to find restaurants, the key is you got to right. find outdoor seating. And uh, But we did. Good yeah. banter, guys. Cool. Good job. All right. <laughs> Thank you, David. Anyways, <laughs> I like Rich- Richmond, Richmond a lot. Richmond's it's a great spot. It's, it's great. great. And I got to say, it was so cheap. I mean, cheap you, good. Like, like inexpensive. I know. Try in a good way. You meant in a good way. Try buy the house there versus here in D.C., people. God, I mean, cost of living. I'm telling you, this is, uh, this is one of my big obsessions. You know this, I that when we do it. studies of various things, cost of it living. matters greatly. Oh my gosh, so yes, much. it matters greatly. All right. But uh, anyway, uh, that that has nothing to do nothing with anything. Nothing to do with what I'm doing, uh, yes. But uh, yeah, next time I'll let you know. Did it be really, I don't know. I was like, does Amber, poor Amber want to come out? You know, like my kids are cranky well, from the drive. We've got a puppy. I know. It, yeah, it might have been a big ask, I, I gotta know. say. And, and then I'm your boss, so you <laughs> Like, I can't really like do, you know down that no, tequila no, no. shot see, if I wanted one. See, yeah, I, and I, that I, concludes <laughs> Amber's research minute. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Hold your horses, David. All right, Amber, what you got for us? We got a comprehensive report about the colleges of education conducted by the American Association of Colleges of Teachers Education. Now, this is like the encyclopedia of information you'd ever want to know about teacher colleges okay. and colleges of ed. But you can only get the executive summary, uh, which is what I got. But apparently, there's like thousands of pages that you can get if you're a member mm-hmm. of the American Association of Colleges of Teachers Ed. Oh, by the way, this is a segue because when I was down in Hilton Head, yes. guess who lives across the street from my parents? 
David Emig, who used, used to, to run the American Association of Colleges of Teacher Education. Yes, he did. And we got together for lunch, and we talked about all kinds of stuff. Yes. Anyways. Well, good. So see, it ties together, David. Well, his organization right. is uh, is putting out a very mm-hmm. good comprehensive report. I'm going to give you seven tidbits, okay, from the report. Uh, I'm going to go to quickly. Okay. I know you people are. Um, and I'm going to be able to quiz, because sometimes it's a little tedious if I don't quiz you guys, mm-hmm. right? Uh, there are about 1,700 colleges of education in the U.S. that award degrees. <laughs> offer teacher prep programs in traditional two- and four-year colleges. The remaining are school districts, nonprofit organizations, and other entities that run alternative prep programs. Okay. Okay? So, still, I think it's about, I feel like that number hasn't changed greatly. The number. Did you say two-year programs? uh, Two and four, 80% offer two- and four-year programs. I think it's a two-year teacher Uh, Apparently, I don't know. Uh, Between 2007, 8 and 2015, 16, there was a decline in the number of people completing teacher prep programs. What do you think? the decline was mm-hmm. how much what of a decline? percent decline yes oh gosh uh, 20 percent. 23 that's pretty Boom. good mike um the largest decline specifically was for alternative programs those mm-hmm. who already have a bachelor's degree that are housed in colleges or universities the number of undergrad education degrees awarded annually peaked at almost two hundred thousand in the early 70s it's less than 100,000 today. Mm-hmm. Factoid number three, the number of bachelor's degrees conferred in education declined by, I'm going to guess again, Mike, what percent did they decline from 05 to 14, 15? Oh, wait, this is bachelor's Bachelor's degrees. degree conferred in education. Oh, I see. I don't know. 30%? 15. Yeah. Um, Number four of the high needs fields. So this is like bilingual, special mm-hmm. education, uh, math, reading. Uh, reading is actually in there. Science. Uh, only special education is among the most popular. So in other words, there, there we are seeing an uptick in the of the high demand fields. There are mm-hmm. more teachers going in sped than these other um, fields. Mm-hmm. Number five, it remains education remains popular at the doctoral level. It represents what percentage of do you think of all doctorates conferred are in education? Oh, that's a cool question. David, you're not guessing here. Come on. Yeah, come on. Ten. <laughs> Ten. Eighteen. Eighteen percent. Wow. Not bad. Eighteen uh, percent. About the same percentage as 1970. Uh, the number of doctoral degrees conferred in education has increased, uh, looks, by 30 percent since 2010, mirroring the trend across all disciplines. And then they just have some qualitative information that most individuals earning doctorates are in staying in teaching and administration instead of going into higher ed and, mm-hmm. you know, being a professor. Mm-hmm. Number six. The average dean of college, the average dean of a college of education, because I got all this information on the staffing, mm-hmm. is a white woman in her late fifties. Mm-hmm. She's been in the position for about six years. What do you think this white woman in her late fifties, who's a dean, earns in terms of median annual salary? Oh, see the cost of living then again. <laughs> we. Uh... Seventeen percent less than her male colleagues. I don't know. <laughs> good answer, David. Good answer. You want to guess? Oh, one hundred and fifty. Wow, Mike, you're so good at this game. One fifty four. Boom. Um, education faculty are not more racially or ethnically diverse than faculty as a whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, the average age of a full time professor of education. So just think about, like, I'm thinking about, you make my professors at UVA. <laughs> yeah. Come on, people. 62, though. Oh, <laughs> They're getting old. Uh, and the last fact, what, in 2018, uh, 52% of students in public schools are projected to be non-white, but only 25% of those earning undergrad degrees and certificates from colleges of ed. The doctoral level is still more diverse because there is a greater level of participation by African-American students, uh, particularly females, at the doctoral level. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, 
education is one of the least diverse uh, master's degree fields and one of the most diverse doctoral fields. Hmm. So anyway, all right, that's my factoids. And then they got the section around the trends and what do we need to be thinking about? And real quickly, three, um, you may have seen it in Ed Week. It was covered in Ed Week. Mm-hmm. So uh, teacher prep programs are beginning to shift away from standardized exams for candidates. We know that. That's, they're sort of moving away from the praxis and those sorts of things and toward performance-based assessments because mm-hmm. we know that sometimes, uh, you know, there's issues with uh, the test scores and um disproportionately affecting teachers of color. And are you saying, is this on the front end or the back end? This is on the the front end. on getting into ed Getting in, the praxis, that's right. Okay. Yeah, towards performance-based assessment. That's what they're saying is a growing trend. Some sort of catch-22 there that I don't understand. Well, right, because they haven't learned how to do practice yet. Is it the point of education? I mean... Or is it on maybe on the maybe it's on the back end to, to get maybe a certificate it says or to complete the program? They're beginning to shift away from standardized exams for right. candidates. Candidates maybe well, at the back. That's candidates confusing. is maybe confusing. That's teacher yeah, candidates. candidates. Could mean after when they're graduating. Yeah. All right. I don't know. Too many elementary teachers. We still have too many mm-hmm. going to elementary school. Kate Walsh was actually quoted in Ed Week. If you saw it, and she's like, you know, one way to solve this is just the colleges say they can't place them. We have too many, you know, mm-hmm. because then you know, they will help stem the. Too many elementary schools uh, teachers. And then finally, um, they make the point of, you know, with all these older professors, we're going to have this sort of, you know, a lot of retirements happening in in, uh, in higher ed and whether these positions are all going to convert to non-tenure track. <laughs> right. Interesting. So, you so, uh, so, you know, when I saw the Ed Week article, I guess I thought that maybe this study was like a self-assessment from the ed schools of like, you know, Here's what is working and what's not working and how we're going to change going forward. It really was not that. No. I mean, this is just basically, here's the fact. Facts. Really At least that's what the executive summary was. So, yeah. yeah. Huh. Anything that worries you? <laughs> Everything. What are you talking about? I, I mean, no. No, right. I mean, we know from multiple sources, perhaps not this, that we are generally still doing a terrible job of... Uh, what making sure that the people are getting a rigorous exp- in the content that they're the going content, to be right. teaching, not the pedagogy, and all that. Right. That's important too. Like you know, David and I can attest. I mean, we got very little in classroom discipline, which probably would have been helpful. Oh yeah, um, that nuts and bolts stuff. Um, but yeah, you still got to know what you're going to teach. Well, and you know the the NCTQ study. Which I don't know if we if we studied covered that or not, but a recent one looking at how reading is taught, and mm. most states still do not make sure that elementary school teachers and special ed teachers get a hefty dose of the science of reading instruction mm-hmm. and have to pass a test showing that they know what that science is. Our home state of Ohio, uh, one of the ex- exceptions, yeah, I think in part because okay. I think they adopted a test that uh, is very similar or was basically the same as one Massachusetts created way back mm-hmm. when to do this. But that in you know the typical state still, you can be an right. elementary school teacher and not, not know how to teach know reading. How to teach reading. And we've learned so much about this. Yes. I mean, yes. it's crazy um and you know all this focus we have on okay how do we get research-based practices identified and then into the schools mm-hmm. um you know and then getting it, professors who want to teach that right I was say, we did that little survey a while back that said they don't want to teach to that go stuff through the district schools but yeah. but if they right that oh, yeah. they 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 don't want to they don't view themselves as a professional school or as mm-hmm. a Right. They're not a vocational school. They want to do, you know, they want to write and teach about. Like the foundations of education, that kind of stuff. They're not covering the three shifts in the common (laughs) core. No, or the Doug Lamov, you know, teach like a champion. Here are some clear practices that social social foundations of education is what everybody had to take. (laughs) 
<laughs> Goodness gracious. All right. Well, so yes, I'm worried, David. I am worried. Just indeed. checking. All right. But uh, so I, I don't, uh, I, I'm not super sad that there are fewer people going into ed schools today. I know, but, uh, but we want to know that, okay, if they pass them through, that the school districts actually can do a good job preparing new teachers too, right? Oh, right. And yes. the other factoid that we got that I didn't have time to, to give is just sort of the number of early career teachers who are quitting, yep. you know, is, is going up, is right? Yeah. So they're not getting, presumably, the supports they need, you know, at least at least some percentage of them. So Right. In Anyhow. Okay, lots to untangle. We have much work to do. You know, we, we have <laughs> we not do. figured this out yet. Uh, we every time you think we're close, no, nope, no, nope, this one's uh, still a boulder going up the mountain. There. Uh, one more push. One more push. All right, thank you, Amber. That is all the time we've got for this week. Until next week, I'm David Griffith, and I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.